This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mix in just a little bit of twang. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. My name is Jerry Polly, and most of you know me as host of the Hillbilly Horror Stories Paranormal Podcast. We get to have some pretty fun conversations about the afterlife on that show. But I'm also a licensed insurance agent. That requires me to have conversations with families every day that aren't as fun or comfortable as on the show. We discuss topics like what would happen to your family if you were suddenly gone. Because not only are you gone, but so is your income. How will they pay the bills? How will they pay the mortgage? Will they even be able to stay in the home that they're currently living in? These aren't fun topics to talk about, but they are a harsh, cruel reality. Getting life insurance is the way to protect your family, and it's the responsible thing to do. It will also give you peace of mind, so when that time comes, you truly can rest in peace. If you live in Kentucky, Ohio, Texas, or Michigan, give me a call at area code 502-817-0899 for your free quote. You've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. What's good? What's good? What's good? This your boy Marcus Harvey from Ghost Brothers. What's happening, man? It's your boy Dayla Spratt from Ghost Brothers. And this is Jawan Mass from the Ghost Brothers. We like to give a big shout out to the Hillbilly Horror Stories. Hillbilly Horror Stories, where your stories is from a hillbilly and it's kind of horror Because it's Hillbilly Horror Stories. That was terrible, Dayla. Yeah. I, I tried. Tune into the podcast. We up in here. Ghost Brothers. Hey, guys. Welcome to episode two. Oh, five of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. We've got a story that was, I'm a little embarrassed to say this. No. We have a story that was requested by a listener, mm-hmm. somebody I've talked to a bunch, and they even said, hey, I know the owner of this place. Uh, I can hook you up. And for some reason, I have forgotten who that was, and now I can't find a conversation because that's been a couple of months ago. Oh, I sure can't help you there. I know. But, so, when you hear this, <laughs> you'll know it's you. Send me a message, because I still want to have her on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just wasn't going to be able to have her on in this exact show, but I, I want to have her on at a later time. Okay, cool, man. So, anyways, first of all, before we get into tonight's story, which I still haven't told you for good reason. I love we, you all. We want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank all of you for, all of you for what you're doing. Uh, we know it's tough right now. It's a it's a it's a very rough time for everybody. There's a thousand things going on at one time, and a lot of civil unrest. Everybody, just stay safe. Everybody. Yes, please. We love you guys so dang all much, and praying for you every night. And your angels, as far as I'm concerned, and I know you're doing your best, and just know we got your back. Okay. It's like I said, it's a struggle right now for a lot of people. Uh, suicide rates 
are as much as six times what they normally are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we've we've had some people in the group lose family members mm-hmm. this week. Um, obviously, we we want to say you know thoughts and prayers out to you. You know who you are. Yeah. And uh, your your family is definitely being thought of right now. Uh, just know that you, you've got people you can talk to out there, whether it be us, whether it be, you know, family members, whether it be friends, whether it be somebody in the group. You know, I saw some very positive things in the group today. Uh, I've seen some uh, people befriend other people in the group. Yes, that's what I love. And, you know, and you know, I, I don't say this very often, but, you know, when Tracy and I met, we were both in a really rough time in our life. And it's like when we met, it was like we were perfect for each other. Mm-hmm. It's like it was what both of us needed. And when I see that, like in a situation today, even though it wouldn't like a love affair or nothing like that. I mean, it wouldn't like that kind of relationship. No, not at all. But when I see people struggling, I know, uh, and I'm, I'm going to mention Sam by name because, you know, Sam is a really good guy and he's a good friend of the show, Sam Farrell. But Sam has taken it upon himself. He went through, he, he's going through a tough time himself, but instead of getting down on his, on himself, he's taken it upon uh, himself to go ahead and find other people that are struggling and reach out to try to help them, mm-hmm. which is, which is remarkable. Yeah, it's phenomenal. And we love you so much, Sam. And we're so grateful for you and everybody that's in the group. And you know what? He's doing the right thing. He's absolutely doing the right thing and not, not letting us crazy ass world get to him and things like that and i'm proud of him i am too i'm so proud he's, of him he's uh like i said he's got his own problems going on and and i don't know that i was i would have been as strong when i had my problems going on mm-hmm. to to be able to just take that time and, and yeah. look at other people rather than yourself and that's what he's done yep. so and he's another little angel of ours and, and there are several of those in the group oh, there because is. you know like i said just like in that situation we we just got people that are looking out for each other, and you can't ask for any more yeah. during this time. Aren't we blessed? We're very we are blessed. We're so blessed to have so many beautiful people in our lives and right I, now. But we also know that sometimes you would rather talk to someone a little more anonymous, and maybe you don't want us to know what struggles are going on in your life right now, and I completely get that. So, Tracy, what number can they call? You can call 1-800-273-8255, or you can send a text at 741 741- Seven four one, And I know it's taken us forever to get into the story, but I, but I have to talk about one other thing. We have a giveaway. The Giveaway! The yeah! Fo- the folks up at Universal Studios are celebrating the 45th anniversary of Jaws. That is crazy to me that yeah. it's been that long. And they have reached out to us and said, hey, would you help promote this? And they have given us four... DVD packs, anniversary DVD packs to give away to you guys. This has got a Blu-ray DVD. It's got a 4K DVD. Mm-hmm. I think it's got even got a digital download. But see, but it's got the two DVDs in it, and it's even got like a a book booklet that's got all some behind the scenes, yeah, you know, stuff in the booklet. I mean, it's it's a really cool setup, and we're giving that away. All you've got to do is go to our fan page, Hillbilly Horror Stories, on Facebook. And the very first thing you'll come across is a big picture of of the uh, DVD cover. Mm -hmm. All you got to do is like the page, if you don't already, and share that. Mm -hmm. And we'll put your name in. We're going to draw for that July 1st. So there'll be four winners. Nice. So I'm excited about it. And and we're thankful for those guys. And 
they're going to give us some more stuff to give away in the future. No, I'm they, so excited. I can't wait. Yeah, next month after this this is over with, there's a movie with Kevin James from King of Queens mm-hmm. out called Becky. Mm-hmm. And he plays like a psychopath in He's it. He's like a it's, badass. Yes. And I've got some digital downloads. I think I got five of those to give away. So we're going to have some more stuff. I want to I want to do the Jaws thing first, but uh, hopefully we'll have you more things to give away to you guys in the future. Woohoo! So, I love our, to give things away. I do too. And after tonight's main story, we have a very cool interview with Mr. Mike MacArthur. Most of you have seen him in the group, but he's also a paranormal investigator, been to a lot of cool places. He's got some great stories for us, so stick around for that. So, all right, let's get into the story. So tonight's topic hails from the great state of New York, East Bethany, New York to be exact. In the past, we've done several episodes of Haunted Asylums. The Rolling Hills Asylum is right up there with some of the most haunted asylums in the entire world. There's a lot of publications that list it as the second most haunted location in the United States. Wow. So let's jump into this story because there's a lot to it. And as usual, we're going to start with the history. And this place has plenty of history. Good. On December 4th. 1826, which is my sister's birthday. Not the 1826 part. She's not that old. But she was born December 4th. The Genesee County Board of Supervisors, they met in Bethany, New York, to talk about building a county poorhouse. Tracy, we've all heard the expression, they're going to send me to the poorhouse. You're eating so much, you're going to send me to the poorhouse. Absolutely. We've all said it. Yep. That saying actually came from a time when most places actually had poorhouses. I mean, I never knew there was such a thing. You've heard the saying, though, right? Oh, of course. I think I said that to the grandkids last week. (laughs) You're going to eat us into the poorhouse. Poorhouses were places that, obviously, people who were poor and had no place to go would live. It was like a very early form of government assistance. Okay. And it's kind of sad, but back then, and we're talking late 1800s, Uh, well, I guess early 1800s and, and, and going forward, they would have situations to where the government would choose who was worthy of government assistance oh, and who wasn't. Yeah. And the people who weren't went to the poorhouse. Now, in some cases, this would just be the elderly. At the time of, of the poorhouses, if a family lost the father due to like a death, or if some reason the father ran out on the family, which didn't happen. A lot of times it would be like a farm accident or something like Mm -hmm. that. At that time, women were not allowed to own land. What? Yeah, I mean, they weren't allowed to vote. They weren't allowed to own land. None of that. Oh, my gosh. So let's say that they lost their father due to an accident. They would be sent to the (gasps) poorhouse. Why? Often time against their will. Okay, but why? Why why weren't they the the ones that got the food and the help? I don't know. That's but, wrong. But I'm not saying all of them were in that situation, but I'm saying there these are some of the people who went to the poorhouse. It's mm-hmm. none of these situations are going to be 100% this is the way it was. It's just yeah. you know, some families did, some families didn't. But these were some of the things if you were a woman with with kids and you lost your husband, you most of the time during this time got sent to the poorhouse. That was their way of, I guess, looking that the government was taking care of you since you had no income. Women didn't work very often back then. Right. And they had kids and they couldn't own land. So what were you going to do? That was, So that was their aim. These poor houses were government-run facilities and typically they were ran by the local government. So the local county or the, yeah. the state. 
These homes were widespread all the way up to about the 1930s when the Social Security program was created. Oh, that's when it was created? Like in the 30s? Like in the 1930s. It was not uncommon for the poorhouse to have orphans, physically handicapped, mentally unstable individuals, and even criminals all in the same house. All in the same place. Wow. So most of these were self-sustained farms, which meant that you were in like your own little farm community. And, you know, they put these things kind of out a little bit so you would be away from regular society because if uh, some people were embarrassed by people that they sent out that way. So, I mean, it was literally everything out there. I mean, like I said, you had some criminals. You had some people that, let's say that you had a a, a child or you had a wife that started running into some mental disabilities. Mm-hmm. And you'll hear some actual stories coming up that'll fit into this narrative. But if you had some, you know, a wife or somebody that... You know, just didn't, uh, you know, we, we've heard about how you could take a, a woman that was disobedient or just didn't do or wouldn't, you know, got lazy or something like that and be able to check her into a mental institution back in the day. Yeah. This worked the same way. So let's say you had a child that had a physical handicap. Maybe they couldn't walk. Maybe they were in a wheelchair. You, and you could say, well, I don't want to be bothered with her. And you could send that child to the poor Well, house. that is so awful. That well, is it so definitely wrong. is awful, but that's the way that it was. <sighs> so you're not... Helping them at all. You're just making things worse. Right. And that's, they didn't understand stuff back then. So you might have had a kid that had epilepsy or something. And you're just like, I don't want to deal with this. And you, you send them that way. Shame it was, on it them. was almost like people today that will take animals that they just get tired of and drop them off at the Humane Society. No. I mean, it was almost the same thought hmm. process to children or even adults that had disabilities. That makes me really, really sad. Everyone that was there had jobs and stuff. This place, I think it had 106 acres when they first started it. Mm -hmm. uh, But it it ended up, I think, at close to 200 acres when it was all said and done. So, like I said, it was a farm. So you grew your own food. You tended to your own livestock. So you you made your own meat. You had your own milk, eggs, all that stuff from what was going on. To the Genesee Board of Supervisors, they decided... Uh, to use this brick building that was near the corner of Bethany Center Road and Raymond Road. So it was just an old brick building that was there. The building actually used to be uh, originally a stagecoach tavern, and it was right in the center of the county, which is why they chose it. Now, eventually it ended up being a different county, and it wasn't in the center, but at mm-hmm. the time it was right in the, in the center of the county. It opened up on January 1st, 1827. This that I'm going to read you is the official announcement from the Batavia Times newspaper from December 9th, 1826. Now, Batavia is a city that was just a little bit farther away. Okay. But it's fairly close. Notice is hereby given that the Genesee County Poorhouse will be ready for the reception of paupers on the first day of January, 1827. The overseers of the poor of the several towns of the county of Genesee are requested in all cases of removal of paupers to the county poorhouse to send with them their clothing, beds, bedding, and such other articles belonging to the paupers as may be necessary and useful to them. Oh, how big of you? (laughs) Bunch of jerks. So who would these paupers be? Well, they gave a description in that same paper. Habitual drunkards, lunatics, And lunatics were listed as uh, ones who by disease, grief, 
or accident lost the use of reason, or, from old age, sickness or weakness, was so weak of mind to be incapable of governing or managing their own affairs. Then there were paupers. They were listed as a person with no means of income, vagrants, or state paupers. Now, state paupers were different than regular paupers. They were ones who were blind, lame, old or disabled with no source of income. So that's who originally was going to be sent there. All right, so we're off and running. Places up, they got their first group of people. And what's sad, this will tell you exactly what they were looking at. These people were referred to as inmates. Oh my gosh. No matter what they were in there for, they were referred to as inmates. So... It just, like, killed everybody's self-esteem. Oh, I'm sure. And they just really felt like they were nobody, for sure. Probably. In 1928, Genesee County added to the the, the facility there by adding on a stone building to the original building. Now, the building had a special purpose. (laughs) It was for the confinement of lunatics and for paupers who were being punished for misconduct. So you would think of that basically as like solitary confinement and all that. I mean, I can't understand why they would call the elderly lunatics. What if they had their right mind? I mean, why, why, why well, that's would you do the, that? That's who the lunatics were. They were people who were probably had like Alzheimer's or something. That's who they listed as the lunatics. That's the, a horrible name. I don't like that. Well, sure. That's why we don't use it anymore. Aww. I mean, Pink Floyd used it, you know, Dark Side of the Moon. But that's well, different. I know that, but dag on it. They sent people that they deemed to be insane to the county poorhouse all the way up to 1887. So we're 60 years later. At that time, they decided that they were going to send them to a state facility specifically for people who suffered from mental illness. So at least that part changed. Mm-hmm. I mean, think think about this. And I, and I know I'm beating a dead horse at this point, but you have a home. That has criminals. You've got women and children that are just their, their families. You've got people with mental illness. You've got people with physical handicaps. And you just got people who just, you know, drunkards. Everybody's all in the same place. I mean, yeah. What kind of an effect does that have on just like a family with kids? Right. You, I mean. So because the farm was self-sufficient. The cost to house and care for each one of these people in 1871 was only $1.08 a week, which was relatively low for the time. Mm-hmm. But they didn't take much, they didn't need much state funding because they did everything themselves. They didn't need the food and all that stuff, everything they did there for themselves. So that's one of the reasons. So even though this was not a prison, per se, it kind of was. The yeah, re- I was going to say, could they just walk out of there if they wanted to? No. So the residents were even referred to as inmates, like I said, but it didn't matter while they were there. They weren't going anywhere. Once you got there, you stayed there. So you were sent to the poorhouse basically because the government said, um, you're a burden to society and this is where you're going to be. Obviously, we mentioned the farmers and the livestock and stuff like that. But they also made things to sell to, to try to offset the cost of the poorhouse because there was still some government expense like utilities and stuff yeah. like that. They would like can jams and jellies and stuff like that to sell. 
But they also had a bakery, and they sold baked goods to make money. They even had a wood shop. Do you want to take a guess what they made to sell at the wood shop? Furniture? They did make their own furniture, but that's not what they sold. What? They made coffins. Oh, and these well, coffins, why don't you just make it worse? These coffins served two purposes. There was a lot of people who died there because people never left, so they needed the coffins for the people there to be buried. But they also sold coffins to the mortuaries around the area to offset cost. What a horrible life. As you probably figured out by this last statement, they also had their own cemetery on site. And we're going to get into that a little bit later. Because there's not a whole lot known about the cemetery. Matter of fact, let's just talk about it now. So, we know that a lot of these people didn't have family. Otherwise, they would be with their family instead of in the poorhouse. Virtually, all there is to allude to there being a cemetery on site is an 1886 proceeding that says, the burying ground we have improved by building a fence in the front and grading and leveling the ground as much as we could be done without injury to the graves. So here's where the problem lies. There has never been a cemetery register or a plot map even discovered. Most of the headstones are gone. The grass and the trees pretty much took over the whole cemetery area. They did put up a, I guess you could say, like a memorial to the people that were buried there back in 2006. And it just basically says, you know, it's for all the people who died from 1827 to 1974. So So in other words, you wouldn't even know there was a cemetery there because it's all grown up with trees and stuff. Right. And that's why they put the sign there. Right. And here's the other problem. What we do know for a fact is there are 1,700 documented deaths that were recorded. Wow, that's so many. And according to the owner now, she believes that could be three times as many actual (gasps) because they did such a poor job of documenting back in the day. And these people are buried all over the property and you don't know where they are because there's no, no site maps or mm. plots or anything to know. There was five headstones that they found. Everything else had crumbled and pretty much there was five headstones that they found. And I, I'm not sure I didn't, I couldn't understand what, what I was reading. If they replaced that with the memorial or if they took those five and put them back out there with the memorial. So I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. In 1938, the county added the Genesee County Infirmary to the complex. The county was getting bigger, and they needed a hospital. So they put that there on the complex. In 1964, the entire place was turned into a nursing home by the name of the Old County Home. It was eventually closed in 1974. Now, they went through several owners after this. But also keep in mind that at the time of the closing, they were afraid that there'd be a lot of homeless and vagrants and stuff take up place. So they tore down most of the buildings that were on site. Mm-hmm. They left the original buildings um, and, you know, like an old barn, but most of the stuff did get torn down. 
unfortunately. Because, yeah. you know, like when we went to Pennhurst, there was so many buildings still there. It was like that. They mm-hmm. had a lot of buildings. Matter of fact, back... And there was a lot of buildings, weren't there? Yeah, and I think... If, I can't remember the dates because I didn't write this down, but back in the 50s, I believe, uh, the old men's dorm burned down and they rebuilt another uh, little better facility back there to it and everything. That's still there because it's attached to the actual building. Like I said, it's they went through several owners over the years, and the newest owner is Sharon Coyle. She seems like a pretty... Pretty cool lady, just sitting there uh, listening to a bunch of interviews and stuff like that with her. She has a great interview. If you listen to uh, Tony Bruschi's mm-hmm. show, The Grave Talks, he's got a a great interview with her from um, a couple of years ago. But so I mean, I guess it went through um, s- several owners because financially, or yeah, I think they just they could figure out what to do with it. And one of the people that owned it before her, I think he kind of went a little uh, insane. They said he used to walk around. He used to hear noises, but they they thought it maybe it maybe it was him maybe losing some of his mm-hmm. mental stability. But then other people say now they people's probably hearing some of these spirits, and they just thought he was losing his mind. But he used to carry around like an axe in one hand and a shotgun in the other hand. Holy crap! All the time. So, so Sharon, at one time, uh, oh yeah, I was gonna say this. On one of the at the times with the previous owners. They had turned it into what they called the Rolling Hills Mall. And they had like a bunch of little stores inside of it, like mom and pop stores. And they had a restaurant. They had a bakery. So the bakery was in the part of the building that used to be the morgue. Oh. When it was, you know. I wouldn't want to know that. Everything else. So they would use the morgue's refrigeration units. There's two of them down there. Two walk-in refrigerators that were used for storing bodies. They would use that for storing eggs and milk and cheesecakes and stuff like that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I, I mentioned Sharon Coyle being the uh, the owner today a few seconds ago. She bought the place back in 2008. And she says she really doesn't know why that she bought it, but it was like a calling to her. She was a paranormal investigator. She had her own group and everything out in California, lived near the beach. So think about this. Mm-hmm. you got your own group. You're investigating all these stuff. She said she mentioned, you know, the Queen Mary and the Hornet, the USS Hornet and all this stuff. That's what she was doing. She was loving it, living in great weather out by the beach. And she gets this call. And the phone call basically was somebody, a friend of hers saying, you know, they're selling this. And I think she'd been out there one time and, mm-hmm. and had like a great experience. They said, you know, they're selling this. And if they don't have a buyer, they're probably going to tear all of it down. And she said she really doesn't know why, but she completely broke down on this phone call. She was devastated. It was like, you know, she knew the place and she liked the place, but it didn't make sense to her that she had such a strong connection to yeah, him saying that. she'd only been there like one time, yeah, right? Yeah, so she just... She would just don't understand, but she had a connection. And she said that it was just meant to be, as far as she was concerned, so she bought it. Dag on, man. So she actually lives on the property, in like the old barn part. Mm-hmm. And it's where they did the woodwork and it made the caskets. That's back where she lives. It really hasn't been modernized. Like the steps that lead up to the, the loft and stuff are just basically wooden planks. I mean, it's just like you would expect to see in a barn. I've seen some video of of her doing some filming, and it literally looks like it probably did 
60 years ago. Well, why in the world would she update a little bit well, if that's where she, she's living? Well, this place, you know, I've heard her make the comment that they're trying to uh, do things to generate money out there. There's mm-hmm. a lot of work. Now, she's put a lot of work into it, just not as much where the part she lives. She's put some work into some of the stuff that just over the years, this place had really gone downhill. Yeah. I mean, you got to remember it's, you know, 74 was when they quit using it as a hospital. So it's been used for other stuff, but I don't think anybody really ever put the money into it to make it where it needed to be until she got there. And she made the comment that paranormal alone will not pay the bills there. So she's trying to get it to the point where people come out there and have like weddings and receptions and birthday parties and all that stuff. So she's, she's working on things to get other stuff in there. Besides well, that's exciting. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's like the where she's at though. Like I said, you had that, and you got old, you know, the old wooden steps. And she said she's got plywood floors where she's at. It's not even like oh man, you know, stone or anything. It's plywood floors. Well, maybe she just broke after she bought it. <laughs> right. <laughs> she said now that it's on one and a half acres, and it's the the the. the she's got three buildings, the barn and tunnels that connect it. All that stuff. Mm -hmm. And she said it's right at 60,000 square feet total. Nice. She said she's got tons of experiences from sounds to footsteps to full-bodied apparitions. She says for a paranormal investigator, it's like the most awesome place in the world. So she doesn't seem frightened at all. Oh, no. No. Well, good for her. She gets frightened one time, but it wouldn't by a ghost. And I'll tell you about that in a minute. Okay. All right, so it's time to get into the paranormal part. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. But first, a word from our sponsor. (laughs) So what's causing the paranormal activity here inside Rolling Hills? Well, I mean, obviously you've got 1,700 people who died there and are buried on the property, probably a lot more. Of course, you've got raw emotions from the people that did not want to be there. And we talked about, you know, the mixed bag of of people that were there. So, I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of people that suffered a lot of trauma. That had to be so scary for those little kids that were there. I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure. Because they probably didn't understand. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know how much people could keep away from other people. I mean, I don't know that it was constant drama going. I just don't know. Here's some other factors, though. The property is right across the street from a huge power grid, and it's close to several ley lines. We've learned in the past that all of these electrical energies are a great recipe for paranormal activity. Ley lines alone can cause it. Electrical uh, surges from a power uh, grid being right across the street could cause it. Both of them together, you're just asking for trouble. <laughs> so there's several phenomenas that take place here at Rolling Hills. The first we're going to discuss is a lady's scream. It's really common there. It's kind of the thing that everybody talks about right off. It's been said that several people who've been housed at Rolling Hills over the years could only communicate by screaming. I mean, you figure some people probably were mute. Uh, You had people that had other disabilities. Maybe they had some Uh, physical, Mm -hmm. developmental issues or something. They just couldn't talk, but they could Mm. scream. It's thought that this may be the reason that you get these random screams here. It sounds like a blood-curdling scream of an old woman. Now, Ghost Adventures did one of their early 
early episodes. Nick was even on this one. And they were at Rolling Hills, and you can hear a woman scream at one point on the show. We both know I'm not going to give Ghost Adventures much credence, but I will say this. It didn't sound like a normal scream. They enhanced the audio and played it, and it was pretty spooky. But I also looked up another video from a, a group called Fifth Dimension Paranormal. They caught a scream that was very similar. Wasn't exactly the same, but it was pretty close to the one on Ghost Adventures. Oh, wow. Now, could they have faked it? Sure, I guess they could. And I'm not accusing them at any means. I'm I'm just saying I'm not going to jump full in. All right. That just because two different groups caught it, that, that that was what it is. But it is really curious. Now, when you talk to Sharon, she says that there is a theory that that scream could be the very first person who ever came to the poorhouse. Her name was Phoebe White, and she lived there for 56 years. Oh, my god! But that's just a theory, and she's really not sure why that's the theory. Yeah. But that's just what she's heard. So let's talk about Roy. Roy is a special young man. He lived there for most of his life in Rolling Hills. His name was Roy Kraus, and he had a disease known as giganticism. Mm. Giganticism is caused by tumors on the pituitary gland, and it's just like it sounds. It makes you grow abnormally tall. Mm-hmm. His father was a very successful banker in town. Remember, I told you I was going to tell you a story about what these things, you know, about embarrassment. His father was a very successful banker in town. And Roy was obviously not what he was expecting out of a son. He was born in, in 1892 and he was looked at as a freak by his father at a very early age. And he was ashamed of the boy. He dropped him off at Rolling Hills when he was 12 years old. And Roy lived his life at the asylum. He died in 1942 at the age of 52 years old. He was self-taught. He loved opera, loved all the arts. You know, supposed to be, by all accounts, like one of the nicest men you would ever meet in your entire life. And he was seven and a half feet tall Ooh. when he passed away. So I guess his dad just dropped him off and that was the end of it. That he was, never went to visit, nothing. That's what happened more times than not at these places. I mean, do were they allowed visitors? Do you know? I don't know. I I, I don't know. I I don't know the answer at all. I would I would assume they probably were allowed visitors, but I, yeah. You know, see now, see he missed out on a great person. He did. He missed out on a great person. With that being said, it may not surprise you at all to hear that Rolling Hills has a seven and a half foot tall shadow figure. That's seen on a regular basis. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't see how that could be mistaken. Uh, exactly. You know, and, and that's funny because in the past, you've heard me say, well, how do they know that particular spirit is this you, person? Right, right. Well, in this case, my guess is you can pretty much bet that if you have a seven and a half foot tall shadow figure, mm -hmm. it that's probably, it is. it's probably Roy. Yeah. So in this one, they're probably right. When it comes to Roy, they have some really good pictures of couple there's two different pictures i've seen one of them is like uh like on a stairway mm -hmm. but you can kind of see the pictures and even on the ghost adventures episode which i was forced to watch for this the zach can even point out on the still picture this is the arm this is the head it looks like he's looking over his shoulder oh dang and uh it's 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 a pretty cool picture and it's obvious he's he's huge 
So anyways, I told you I had a story about her being freaked out something that wasn't a ghost. One day, Sharon was uh, just got, she just bought the place. It was like two months after she got there. And she's over in the inform- uh, the infirmary. And she's looking around and she sees something on the, on the floor and she thinks it's a kitten. A kitten? Yeah. She's like, oh, how'd, how'd a kitten get in here? Well, it wasn't a kitten. It was a rat. Oh, no. She doesn't like rats. Hell no. About like you are. I feel you, sister. She screamed and ran away. The next day, guess what she found on the stairs? A dead rat. A dead rat. Oh, Lord. Not just a dead rat, but it had blood coming from its mouth. And on the wall right above it was a very large, bloody handprint. Sharon seems to think that Roy saw what happened to her and... He took it upon himself to exterminate the rat for her. Well, thank you, Roy. <laughs> you would be my hero. It, now, Roy's room is still there. Some of these rooms are still set up. And they've all got different names. You'll, you'll, we'll talk about a couple of them here. In Roy's room, they still have the specially made bed for him. Aw. Because he had to have something bigger. Oh, heck seven yeah. and a half feet. They also have a wallpaper border that's seven and a half feet off the ground. So when you walk into the room, you can see exactly where seven and a half feet, so you can see how tall he is. And there's some pictures of him with some of the other people there. Oh my gosh, you I know, can only imagine. You've seen that one in the Guinness Book of uh, mm-hmm. Records. I think it's Robert Wardlow or Wardlow, or, but the, the he was eight foot tall or something. But I mean, you see him with regular people, especially back then, because it was like people were only like, like five, five were like mm-hmm. tall people. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing to see him. I'd probably come up to his knee. Probably. It'd be like that picture of you with Wukash Orbzook. Oh, had. yeah. Well, actually, it is because Wukash was 7'2", oh or 7'1". Wow. He's taller than Wukash, so. So, we're talking about the um, uh, shadow figure, obviously, with Roy, but he's not the only shadow figure that they've seen there. On the second floor, in the men's dormitory, they have a section known as Shadow Hallway. This is similar to what you got at Waverly, mm-hmm. up on the fourth floor. But on the second floor, they got a Shadow Hallway. It's named that because... You can see several shadow people almost any time that you're there in the dark. Sharon said that they can be either pitch black or they can be various shades of gray, but they look like a solid person. They look like you or me. Sometimes they're in a human shape, but in some cases they're just like blobs and just weird kind of shapes, Mm -hmm. but you still see them. They come in and out of doorways and they walk across the halls and sometimes they even crawl on the floor towards you if you're like sitting on the floor during a paranormal investigation. What would you do? <laughs> Will you pee yourself? Probably so. Oh. Oh, and sometimes they like to touch your pokey in the armor leg. Shadow pokey figures. in the armor leg? Yeah. You get poked by some of these shadow figures. I wonder if you farted during one of those experiments and they came towards you and then they ran away quickly. Because you smelt them. I mean, you farted on them. Why would you even think of that? I don't know, because sometimes your farts are like, whoa. But then you can <laughs> just say you're sitting in the floor, and here comes a shadow. And then you fart. And he just, like, turns around real quick and scatters, like, ah! Or what if the fart was a bigger shadow than the shadow person? It created its own shadow. Ooh, now that would be impressive. All right. There was a woman... Named Hattie. She lived there during the time that it was a nursing home. She was blind and she would yell out hello 
to the nurse's station to get their attention. Uh-huh. She has her own room there. It's Hattie's room. One time, Sharon left a tape recorder in there. Ooh, good idea. She, she let it play. She got an EVP that sounds like a woman saying, Hello, sorry as I talk over Ninja. <laughs> With his longest snore ever. <laughs> so she played it for a former employee that, that worked there mm-hmm. during the time that Hattie was there. And this former employee said that that was without a doubt Hattie's voice. Oh, my goodness. Yay. Here's something you'll like. They have a Christmas room. Oh, my gosh. I'm all about it. Obviously, there were lots of children here at the poorhouse. And they had a room that was full of Christmas decorations and toys and gifts and stuff like that. It was made up for Santa Claus to be down there. So the kids would, they would bring them down to the Christmas oh, room and, and let them sit on Santa's lap. Oh, good. I'm glad they at stuff. least had that to look forward to. Today, there are still Christmas decorations and toys in there. Sometimes the staff goes in there and they read stories just in case there are any spirits of the children oh, in there. Oh, how sweet. There have been several occasions where there have been balls moving on their own accord. Other toys will come on if they're electronic in the same room at various different times. There was a story I was I was looking at. There was a, a gentleman that said he was a skeptic, mm-hmm. and he was working there or volunteering there, one or the other. And he said one day... He pulled a ball out. He put it down. And he's like, okay, move if you can do this or that. And it didn't move. So he's like, oh, well, I gave it a try. What the hell? And he said a few minutes later, him and Sharon came by there and the ball just started moving. There was no wind. There was no doors open, no windows open. The ball just started moving on its own and it kind of freaked him out. He said from that point on, he's kind of believed. Yeah. Well, maybe they just didn't want to do it because they knew it was maybe... Who knows? You know, and then when Sharon came with him, then it was all about it. Possible. So we mentioned the morgue earlier. The morgue seems to be where the most physical activity towards people happen. People have <laughs> been weird. <laughs> people have been shoved, and they've been knocked down to the ground, and they've even been scratched in the morgue area. Dang, that's aggressive. Yeah, that's what I said. That's the physical part. Wow. There's one section of the asylum that used to be the psych ward and the solitary confinement area we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. that's where they used to send what they deemed to be the people that were breaking the rules. So there's still iron brackets that come out of the, the concrete walls that were used to shackle the residents that became hard to handle, mainly for medical illnesses and conditions that were not really understood back then. Could have been somebody with epilepsy or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. You know, bipolar or something like that would have been looked at as Hard to handle and aggressive back then. So let's talk about a spirit by the name of Raymond. Now, there is no written proof of Raymond, but it's believed that he was mentally ill patient here and and that he sexually abused several young girls over the years. While they were there. Right, right. But there's, I've got more on this later. This, This may or may not be true. Okay. So the spirit known as Raymond supposedly likes to touch women while they're on the property, as would go to figure, based on his history. Next person that we're going to talk about is Nurse Emmy. I have to be honest, I saw a few completely different stories when it comes to Nurse Emmy. Now, Nurse Emmy is Emmy Altworth. 
That's her real name. She was a real person. Now, according to the Travel Channel's website and the Ghost Adventures episode, Nurse Emmy was a nurse that gained a pretty big reputation for being very cruel to patients. In her room at the asylum, it's said that you feel a deep heaviness when you walk anywhere near it or into it. Men are supposedly touched in this room, like women were touched on other parts of it. Men get touched in this particular room. So there's rumors that she practiced black magic as well and was a member of a dark coven of witches in 2004. Now this part is 100% true. A coven of witches broke into Rolling Hills performing a ritual of some sort. The staff found candles, circles drawn, and feathers on the wall of uh, the organ room. So the staff seems to think that this may be the same coven that Nurse Emmy belonged to back when she was alive. And I really don't have a time frame on when she mm-hmm. was there either. I didn't see. Um, I'm, I'm assuming this was obviously during the nursing home years. And the nursing home years was only open for 10 years. Oh. So it was 64 to 74, I believe. Now, other websites and videos said that Emma was a very peaceful person and a peaceful spirit. So there you go. One or the other. Sharon does these live videos and where they do some investigations and she tells you a little bit about the place. And one of the places she did was inside of the laundry room. Now, the original laundry room, like we said earlier, it's three buildings and a connecting tunnel. Down the tunnel, a little bit off of, is a, is a room that was the original laundry room. And it supposedly is very active. So what she's done is is they don't have the original laundry equipment down there Mm -hmm. but they filled it up with equipment that would have been used from that time period to try to make the spirits feel more at home and to feel like they're at work Mm -hmm. and it must work because like i said they get a lot of a lot of activity over in there they also get a lot of evps from this room and supposedly people who actually worked there when it was a functioning laundry room so that's really cool One of the spirits that's in there quite often is a little boy by the name of Little Jack. Sharon says that they've captured several pictures of him, and he looks kind of like Pugsley from the Addams Family. (laughs) I've been told he wears shorts, and he wears like a little striped shirt. Yeah. He's very interactive, and he's one of the most popular spirits in the entire building. Well, yay for him. They captured an EVP of him saying, throw me the ball. And I actually heard it. It sounds like like throw me the ball. One of the investigators in the laundry room was, uh, it was handing a video camera that was on, but he's handing the video camera off to another investigator. And you can hear in the background, somebody whisper, get it. So get Mm -hmm. it. But you hear it. It's pretty, pretty plain. And it's happening as he's handing it off. Now, the funny thing about this was that camera's audio caught it. But they had other audio devices recorded, and it didn't pick up on any of the other audio devices. Isn't that weird? Yeah. So you would think, and and one of the audio devices was right next to the camera. So you could you would originally think, well, okay, well maybe the other audio device got... was across the room. Yeah. So it didn't hear it. It wasn't close enough. But there was an audio device right next to the camera. It should have caught something. And it didn't catch it. So I watched a video where there was a local news crew that came out to do a story. And it was like middle of summer. It wasn't even Halloween. It was middle of summer. And I decided, hey, we're going to send somebody out. And uh, the guy, you know, he goes out and he's talking to him about a bunch of stuff. Typical news story to last, you know, three, four minutes. They're in the morgue area. And a pink 
hair tie, you know, one of the round ones, mm -hmm. a pink hair tie just flops onto a table in front of them. They got everybody on camera, and this thing is like it was thrown. You mean like a rubber band? Is that yeah, what you're saying? Like that oh, kind of. okay. This thing was like it was thrown by somebody, but they have everybody on camera and they can see nobody through it. Ooh. You can hear it and you can see it. And the news crew caught this. Oh, so they, did they go back at the film and make sure? Yeah, they went back before? and looked and they said there was, there was nobody that they could <laughs> see. They have no clue. It's almost like it just appeared out of thin air. Nice. So I thought that, that was kind of cool. That's very cool. They also, while the news crews were there, they were able to get flashlights to turn off and on mm -hmm. by answering questions in front of the cameras. Oh, my gosh. Another cool phenomenon that happens here is the smell of lemon cookies coming from the former kitchen. And that's compliments of Aunt Maud, the former cook. That was her <laughs> specialty. You would have liked you some lemon cookies. I would have loved some lemon cookies. There's also a little girl named Elizabeth. Now, she likes to frequent a room right below the chapel that they call the portal room. They call it that because they almost feel like this is where all the stuff comes in and out of. But this little girl likes to hang out in the portal room, the portal room, not the portal room. But Elizabeth really enjoys following the people on the tour better. So a lot of people get pants legs tugged. They get dresses tugged. They get touched. They get kids uh, feeling like a child brushing up against Aww, you because and they tell it by the height. Yes. Uh -huh. Of course, you know, if it was yeah, your that, I'm just going to say, what the heck? <laughs> I can be considered one of those. All right. So we're going to end this with Sharon Coyle, who actually, you know, she's the owner. She runs the social media and she addressed a few things on a Facebook post on the official Rolling Hills Asylum page. And I think this was, even though I didn't see it specifically, that it was targeted towards ghost adventures, I think it is. Okay. And you'll hear when why I say that. Okay. This is from April 21st of 2015. She said, I've been bombarded with questions. Here are the answers. Rolling Hills Asylum is not abandoned. I own it. I live here. I run a business here. I pay taxes on the property. I repair and make improvements on the property. Nurse Emma is not, capital N-O-T, evil. She did not practice satanic rituals. She was a Baptist and is buried in a local Baptist cemetery. So there you go. That, I'll take that over what Ghost Adventures said. Yeah. Because like right. I said, the only place that I saw she was evil was Ghost Adventures and Travel Channel's website, which is where Ghost Adventures is on. So mm -hmm. that's, you know, Raymond, which was the one who supposedly molested children, little girls. Raymond was not a patient. Raymond was not a pedophile. His last name is Raymond. His first name was John. He handled maintenance and other jobs here. He was a very nice man. Brad met an elderly gentleman about a year ago who knew Raymond personally and verified all of this. Okay. And then she said, Roy. Well, that's good. Yeah. So she said, Roy is a gentle giant. He was over seven and a half feet tall when he passed away and was a lovely person. I met someone who knew him personally and all of this is verified. And then on top of that, there were some people underneath this that uh, the comments that basically said, you know, these TV, you know, we told you this would happen when you opened it up to TV cameras and yeah. TV shows. They're going to do whatever it takes to get ratings and all that. Um, so, but here's the, here's the thing though. And, and, and 
you know, as much as I criticize Zack and Ghost Adventures and all that, you know, I watched the episode. There were two people that either worked for her. I, well, one of them, I think, was a psychic or mm-hmm. medium that had came in and had been there several times. And the other one I felt like was an employee of the place that were talking about, you know, the the break-in and the satanic ritual or the, or the uh, uh, witch ritual that, that was taking place there. And talked about the heaviness in the room and all. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I understand you can't. You might not be able to control what Zach and Nick and and Aaron might say on the air. But these were people that I think you had some affiliation with. You know, as far as Sharon, these were people that had had an affiliation with her that were on there talking about it as well. So you know, and she could have controlled some of that. I think maybe right. And that's a shame that those things were said. I mean, that's how life is, but those the terrible things were said about these people, and they can't defend themselves. I mean... No, very true. Very true. And I think that's really sad. So, Tracy, with all that being said, what do you think about Rolling Hills Asylum? Um, I think it's a very sad place. It's very interesting, but I'm glad that I didn't have to go there. <laughs> Oh, 100%. You know, and, and some just, of the people who were sent there that I saw were people like if somebody just got fed up with their wife. I know. And that's what that's what's so heartbreaking that just like that, they could do that and send people there like that. That's terrible. You know, especially if, like you said, with the, the wife and her kids, I mean, it's not her fault something happened to him. They passed away or whatever. And I just think it's, you know, an injustice. They should not do that to them. As, as I'm seeing more and more every day, we do these stories, you see what's going on in the news. People in general, the humans, have just been a very despicable you well, know, they, race they, all the way back. Well, I mean, they have. They're just so quick to judge and, and you know, not know the facts. And I mean, like, well, I mean, I saw something today about, you know, you got certain religions that uh, I think that I think it was Peru, maybe. I can't remember, but they they found a site where there was like 21 children that had been sacrificed. I mean, this was you know thousands of years ago, but I mean they found it's horrible. You know, we we as a, a human race, we've sacrificed people, we've had slavery, we've mm-hmm. had you know torturing. Yeah, it's just, just it's you, awful. It's just it's a strange setup. So yeah, because you just can't hardly believe that those things took place back in the day. Yeah, so it's barbaric. But they did, mm. unfortunately. Terrible, terrible. So, well, that's the story on Rolling Hills. So now we're going to uh, have a real quick break, another sponsor break, and then uh, Tracy's going to read us our Patreon. But then we got Mike MacArthur, nice little interview. I think this is about thirty minutes, mm-hmm. and he's got tons of cool stories. So, let's take a quick break, and we'll get to the rest. Okay, Tracy's getting ready to read that. I do want to mention we are about a month away from the Pigeon Ford show with Graveyard Tales, mm-hmm. and we have 23 tickets left. Yeah. So people are grabbing them up. them up. It's exciting. Re- remember, we're going to be social distancing there, and we'll have plenty of hand sanitizer. If you want to wear a mask, by all means, do that. Um, but I, I am going to tell you that we are going to be, you know, if people want to give hugs, they can. We're not going to be against that. And uh, well, I, I can only speak for Tracy and myself. <laughs> well, I mean, like I said, I don't want to speak for Adam and, and Matt because no, I don't. You know, not I'm not talking all. about that part. But I know we're we are are you know willing to still hug people. We're willing to talk to people. 
um, you know, up close and, and all that, you know, so we don't want people to think that that's going to be the case. No. You know, that's, that's what we do at these shows. And, um, it's not going to change for us. Now, if you're not comfortable with that, that's a whole different ballgame. Of course it is. You know, but you but, all know me. I'm a hugger. Right. So. so we're, we're good with it. So, but I don't want anybody to think that if, that, that if they're good with it, that it's going to be one of those deals where it's like, you're not going to have the meet and greets beforehand and all that. Cause that's definitely going to be just like it has been at every other show. You'll get to, you know, hang out with us and talk to us and buy t-shirts and uh, just whatever you want to do. But we're going to have, we're going to have fun with this. It's probably, it's going to be the only one we probably do all year other than maybe yeah. Bobby Mackey's. So we're going to make sure we have a damn good time, but there's only 23 tickets left. And, and, you know, I would suggest that if you think you're going to be able to come, you might want to go ahead and snatch it up. Yeah. We can't wait to see you all for sure. All right, Trace, what we got? Okay. Our iTunes reviews this week. Um, Mojo Lobster. Thank you, doll. Vicki Lynn, Nicole, the spook and fat Greg. Thank you guys for your awesome reviews. Um, our Patreons this week are Nietzsche, Flora, and Amy Moyers. Thank you, hon, for your all's um, um, patronage. Well, yes, dang, I couldn't think of that word. But thank you, guys. We really appreciate you alls support. I want to mention something on, on one of the iTunes reviews. And uh, it was a one star, which, fine, that's, that's not the issue. The problem is, it basically says, well, let me, let me read exactly what it says. It says... Kids, nothing against the kids. Get them their own podcast. Look, I get it. Maybe it's not for you. It is for a younger crowd. Other adults, they do enjoy it. But, you know, no offense, but it's a bonus episode. It's once a week. It says at the beginning it's a bonus episode. You don't have to listen to it if you don't like them. No. So, I mean, I know there's. it's not for everybody, but I mean kind of felt it was kind of unnecessary to give a one-star review and then tell us what we should do with our podcast i mean like i said to me that's not that's not the kind of criticism that i'll take constructive criticism but i thought i thought that was kind of unfair to just say get them their own podcast and because they are on out there on our feed as a bonus that you know that's an extra so you get counted against because you do something extra right and I, I just thought it was kind of you know is what it is Mm-hmm. But I didn't feel it was completely appropriate. But and that will not change. So just to let you know, for yeah, the future. I mean, a lot of people like it, and and it is a bonus, and you know, so yeah, that's not going to change. You know, it, maybe people don't understand how podcasts work, but you know, to just get a whole separate podcast, it's it's not that easy, and it's you know, it can be expensive, and you know, it's it's just it's best where it's at right now. So yeah, it's not going to change. All right, so now. Without further ado, let's listen to Mike McArthur. All right. Hey, guys, I've got Mike from Kentucky on. He's out in the uh, eastern part of the state, kind of close to West Virginia. He's a paranormal investigator. He's got a bunch of stories for us. We had a, a pleasure of being able to, to meet Mike when we did our show in Point Pleasant, West Virginia last year. It was so much fun being able to finally talk to him and everything. But I, he's had so many stories over the years that I couldn't wait to get him on. So first of all, welcome to the show, Mike. Oh, thank you. Pleased to be here. So you, the first story that you're going to tell us has to do with a home that's right there in the Ashland, Kentucky area. What is it called? Seton Home? Seton, Seton House? Manor. Seton Manor. That sounds a lot more prestigious than Seton Home. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. So, Mike, I'm going to turn the mic over to you and let you kind of tell us about what you've experienced out there. Well, I've been a paranormal investigator since about 2006. 
probably hanging around haunted houses and cemeteries much longer. But I started using equipment and so forth like that around 2006, 2007. And we were a fairly young group in 2006, but we didn't find Seaton Manor until around 2012. And we found it by accident. I just happened to find it on Facebook, so I called and, you know, paid the, the fee to get the place. Turns out we were the only ones that showed up. There were supposed to be other people there, but it was Mother's Day weekend. They had other things to do. So we had pretty much the run of the place the whole night. Now, they used to do things like have a paranormal group go through with ovalas, other type of the more showy equipment. I don't use ovalas myself. And, you know, just try to give everybody a little bit of show. But since that wasn't going to happen, we just decided to take the opportunity to investigate. So when I walked into the place, it's, it's a gorgeous Georgian home. It's huge. It took me about 30 minutes to do baseline readings of, of the average EMF temperature. And, uh, and this is important, the uh, humidity in each room, because humidity can cause these little mists that pop up. Mm-hmm. So it took me about 30 minutes to go into each room and do that. Down in the basement, I immediately got a feeling of the creeps. But our hostess that night was a uh, psychic by the name of Samra, and she looked the part. She had she looked like a gypsy. She wore gypsy-type clothing. You could easily imagine that she was a psychic or she knew how to tell fortunes and stuff like that. That was thrown in with the investigation that I just passed. It was me, Doug, John his daughter Allie and my friend Tim was supposed to be there too but he canceled out it comes a little bit more important later so we had a dinner it was it was beans and everybody had their fill and you could tell a little bit later <laughs> so, and we have a little thing there when somebody rests we always say let the record show it's not paranormal so nobody mistakes it for a growl we started just doing the investigation there and, and at, at first it wasn't much to set off our meters or anything like that so Emily Menshouse came over from uh KYP, and it was the first time I'd ever met her, and she participated in the investigation with us. So one of the first things we did is we went downstairs and we had a seance. It was me and the group and all the other people there. That's just something I normally don't do. As, um, another thing is I'm ex extremely picky about evidence. I don't take a little sound and interpret for somebody's going to kill me. I don't listen to EVPs. I've actually got precisely two pictures that I can't find any way to debunk in the 15 years I've been doing this. So I'm, I don't look at orbs and say, hey, that's a ghost walking through there. Orbs have plenty of brains. I'm extremely skeptical. And I never, ever call a place haunted based on experience. Seaton Manor might just absolutely be an exception I might make. So we're sitting at this seance, and Emily had put a geophone on the floor in the room near the back of, of the basement table. So there was a candle lit. We were all sitting around a table. Samra says this little incantation tell them to come in closer and that nobody is to break the circle. If you break the circle, it's supposed to be bad. So we're doing this, and then all of a sudden, something popped me in the throat. Like a cold presence just hit me in the throat. It was like it was choking me. Didn't last for more than a second or two, but I was like, oh my goodness, what the world? And everybody started looking at me and said, you all right? I said, yeah, I'm fine. What the world was that? You know, I don't like to call a place that haunted based on personal experience, but that was kind of hard to ignore. So I finished up with that. And at that particular point, I thought, do I really want to go through with this, with that happening? So I talked myself into staying a little bit later. We went upstairs, had a little snack, and we started doing an EVP session with a spirit box. Now, spirit box is something I seldom ever use, and this was the one time I ever got anything good out of it. But we were letting this thing go. We asked questions for about 45 minutes, and I asked, what color shirt am I wearing? No response. And the second time I asked, what color shirt I'm wearing? It came back clear as day, black. 
and I was the only one wearing a black shirt. And then one of my investigators was like, hey, I heard that. And Emily heard it, too. And she she declared it was awesome. And it was the last time I think I actually used the spirit box that was there. So we went upstairs. This is about 3 in the morning. It's supposed to be dead time. I was really tired. I'm going to admit, I'm not sure what I saw, but I was really tired. There's a little sofa in one of the upstairs bedrooms. And I figured, you know, if I take a little 20-minute cat nap, I'll be able to keep going. Looked out the corner of my eye. It looked like I saw a tall man walk down the hall. Now, Emily and Doug were there, but Doug's not tall, and he's not lean like this thing I saw. I looked again, I laid back, and I just closed my eyes again, and then something nudged the sofa. I hopped up and looked at it again. Nobody around me. I laid back down. As soon as I closed my eyes, something nudged it again. At that point, I think it's a pretty good idea to just let the nap go. So I started walking around the room. Nothing hit my uh, K2 meter. I didn't catch anything in the pictures. So... We decided to head back downstairs, and Samra decides she's going to do another seance. So we're doing another seance down there, and I could swear I saw, like, red light coming off of her temples, kind of purplish color at times. And then she is almost off in a trance, and then for about two to three seconds, I saw a woman pop up right next to her. And this woman had, I mean, just like a full physical presence. She opened her eyes, then looked right at me, and then she just disappeared. I gasped. Emily looked over there. Doug looked over there. They didn't see her, but they were looking directly at Samra at the time, and I'm not sure Emily could have been in a position to see her because she was right next to Samra. I looked up, and wow, and it was the first full-bodied apparition I had ever seen. Mm. So we carry on through the night. We managed to finish up about, oh, seven in the morning. I go back and listen. Just clear day, I did get that EVP recorded, but it didn't come up with anything in my pictures or, or anything else. And then I called Tim the next day and seen how he was. He said he, he was feeling better, but he was having nightmares. I said, well, what are these nightmares about? He said, well, I keep seeing you in that house. And I see you from the back. And then when you turn around, you don't have a face. And he said, another time I went down there, so part of this area is built into an Indian mound. That should have been my first indication. He had another one where he was trying to get into the place and that uh, Native American warriors were warning him not to go in. So a couple months later, we wound up there again. They did the event type thing. We just kind of did our own thing that night. And Tim was looking down the hallway and he saw the same guy that I saw walk right across a lit door perfect shadow figure basically we did a couple things that night we really didn't come away with much evidence there that night after that the nightmare stopped after he'd gone into the building the nightmares had completely stopped then uh she is getting ready to have another event down there and i called her and asked about how things were going and she said well some guys were playing with Oakland. And like i say i'm not a big believer in Oakland, but she said they were sitting on there and your name came across i said well mine's a common name a lot of people have that name she says no it wasn't your first name it was your last name and my last name is MacArthur, like the general I don't know how an obelisk box came up with that, because it usually comes up with one or two words. Still not a believer in them, but that's a crazy hit. Now, after I did a second trip, I didn't go into another investigation. In fact, I never went back to the house until they were filming an episode of Paranormal Journeys. They were going to try to do a film on Seat Manor, but they didn't have enough to make a, a documentary, so they actually just split it up into an episode or two of the show. So I went back near that day, and about a month later, I got a new Samsung phone from where I work, had a remarkable camera on it, so I was passing through Ashley, so I decided I'm going to stop and take a picture of Steve Manor. So I got the camera up, I tried it out at work and everything else, pulled the camera up, the damn thing wouldn't take the picture. I tried two or three times and it just would not take the picture. I got a half block down the road and the camera was fine. Hmm. And Samra told me that she just thinks that the lady of the house or Miss Seaton was the lawn hadn't been cut in a while. She just didn't know anybody want taking a picture of it in that condition. I, I there might be some truth to that because whoever built that place did so with a great deal of love. I actually hear the place is for sale if it hasn't already been sold. Huh. Believe it or not, I actually like to live in it, but I there's no way I can afford that place. It is a gorgeous old school type mansion. But if I can never get it again, I'll, I'll 
sends you a message and you're and you and Tracy just come on down. Yeah, because that's I mean that's a short drive for us. I mean we're looking uh-huh. two and a half, three hours. Yeah. And here I here I'd gone as far as Louisville, Kentucky and Moundsville, West Virginia to do paranormal investigations. And this place is just my old backyard. I just didn't know it was there. It's funny how it works. You know, I said I've said several times we are blessed to have the haunted places that we do have in Kentucky. I mean, we've got some great places. I mean, between Bobby Mikey's and, and Waverly, I mean, there's two that's in consistently in top ten lists in the world. You've got places like that. You've got Octagon Hall that's down by uh, Bowling Green area. That place is phenomenal. You've got the Buffalo Trace Distillery right here in Frankfurt. You've got just so many different houses and stuff in the area. That the What's the place up in uh, Richmond? Liberty Hall? You know, it's the just Anderson like... Hotel? Yeah, I mean, it's just every place. I mean, there's so many good places here in, in Kentucky. It's amazing. I thought about going down to the uh, Gates of Hell Cemetery. but Well, it's, it's funny you say that because the interview I just did before you mm-hmm. was somebody that actually had a an awesome paranormal story from Gates of Hell. Yeah, I didn't even mention Gates of Hell in that little group. But, I mean, that may be the scariest out of all of them, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I don't scare easily. Last time I went to Waverly, kind of messed with my head. There's one lady investigator named Benita that I investigate with frequently. And anytime I investigate with her, I come back with some EVPs that'll, you know, make you have to change your drawers sometimes. But in Waverly, I just asked the question, are you evil? And I think I was on the fourth floor at the time. A couple of seconds go by and this voice, just harsh voice comes back and said, yes, really? <laughs> and I never really thought there was anything evil at Waverly. I don't, you know, the creeper thing. Yeah. I'm just not really on board with that. Because the creepers seemed to come up about the time Zach Bagans did. Yeah, go and I've been researching Waverly almost five or six years before that, and I'd never heard of the creeper. I heard the creeper about that time, and now I'm hearing about it. This is one of the more popular themes at Waverly, but I'm not sure if it really exists. I know the Maddenleys who own the place. They don't. They mm-hmm. don't like that idea of the creeper being out there. They uh, they like the place to be haunted, and they enjoy people thinking that. They definitely don't want anybody thinking there's something evil in there. Well. When I heard that voice, I didn't know if it was a prankster ghost or something else. But later on, I, I asked, the, you know, just did the shave and a haircut thing. Yeah. And I want to try to amplify this where you can pull it up. But if you listen closely, somebody's going, two bits. So I think it just may have been a prankster ghost. I don't know if it's evil or not. <laughs> but that, the two bits there just kind of made me smile. It's very, very faint, but it's there. That's and awesome. Like, like I say, with my EVPs, I'm picky. I don't hear a little squelch and think uh, it, it says something when I really can't make it up. If I say there's an EVP there, it's clear. You can hear it. And I'm hard of hearing. So I basically, I'm dependent on a hearing aid. I have to use high-level headphones to hear it all. But when I, if I hear something, it's there. So what is the, what are some of the other places that you've had a lot of good luck with that you got some good stories out of? We went to Trans-Allegheny, but we didn't do the hospital itself. There are three buildings in the back. And the ones we had that night were the medical building, which looks like something straight out of a horror movie because it's in such disrepair. Yeah. And some of these doors have the the uh, screen type things, the heavy wire screen on. There's one that's actually got a jail type door in it. You know, I just kind of wonder what was held behind that. Um, and the night I was there, it was raining, just cats and dogs. I mean, just absolute cats and dogs. And I'm walking around in that particular area looking at it, trying to wonder what's going on. And... I didn't catch much in there, but there's a, uh, a building next door to it, which is called the uh, geriatrics building. Now, the geriatrics building was kind of quiet, too, and I had too many people talking to you know, get any EVPs, but my REM pod started blinking green. It's continuously blinking green. So I took a little video of it, and I sent it over to the guy who built the thing. His name's Alan. He's a in Illinois, and he builds paranormal equipment. 
In fact, the Ghost Brothers use some of his stuff. He goes, looks like you got something there. <laughs> because he said, there's no reason it should have been blinking green like that. He said it should be blinking all the colors, but it was just continuously blinking green. So when we got finished with there, we went into a building called Forensics. And this is where they did the Aries, the lobotomies, the experiments. But it was oddly kind of peaceful. So we did a few things, also those EVP sessions, got nothing. But one of the boxes that uh, somebody came, came across with the name Bill. We kept asking, and it came across a couple more times, and when somebody was walking to another area, they saw a block of concrete where somebody had written their name Phil. So we think that might have been Phil. Now, there was one area that everybody else was going back to the other thing, and I didn't want back out, walk back out in the rain, so I just stood there watching that area. Nobody else was around, so I put my camera up, and I started asking questions. I didn't hear anything on the EVPs, and I took a probably about... 20 to 30 pictures in the same spot using a, a full-spectrum Sony camera with a rechargeable IR light. And in one of the pictures, there is a white shape in the middle. I don't know what it is. I, I've shown it to other investigations. They said, that's probably an apparition because there was nobody there with me. And I just look at it again, and as you zoom in out, it starts to take a human shape. I'm not quite sure what it was, but it's the, it's one of two pictures I've taken that I can't can't explain. Because I look, everybody say, well, what are all those red lights? Is that's just, you know, that glossy yellow brick and the infrared light reflecting off. And, you know, this building that I live in, uh, I while I'm a resident of Ashland, Kentucky, I stay here and take care of my fiance. And this is the old Huntington High School, and it's got some stories of it itself. I saw a full-body apparition in here one night. As I take a health walk, if it's raining, I just walk downstairs. And it's the very same place I'm sitting here. So during this COVID thing, I haven't been able to get out testing equipment or do any investigating. So I built a little REM pod, and I put it down on the table down here, and that thing is loud. So I got about 20 feet away from it, and I heard it go off behind me. I don't know what set it off, but it only happened one time. So it's a pretty good piece of equipment. I mean, it's really sensitive, but I put it back there, and I walked past the table, and about 20, after I got about 20 feet away from it, it went off. Now, the difference between EMF and REM is EMF can go off, there's a spike in the air, but something has to be close enough to an REM device to set it off because it has to break that energy plane. Basically, you can order, like, you know those doorknob alarms? Yeah. Those are basically REM devices. So if you get close enough to that doorknob, you bet about two inches off of it, it's going to go off. That's why I like a REM pod. I actually prefer the REM pods over EMF meters. There's a lot of things to spike an EMF meter, but something has to get close enough to a REM pod to set it off. Yeah, we were at, uh, what's the Waveland out here in Lexington, mm -hmm. and the, right. the guys from Lexington Paranormal Research Society were actually using a REM pod. There was my first time ever being around one. Uh, yeah, they're starting to get cheaper, but, I mean, they're still expensive pieces of equipment. Yeah, so, I, think, I think he said the one he had cost, he got for like 300 bucks or something. One I've got, I got for 75 but that's because he was closing that line out. And the one I make is, is cheap but effective. It's basically a doorknob alarm with an antenna attached and light built in. That's all it is. I'm thinking I'm going to try to get more of that REM equipment and do what's called a minefield. If I can get three or four of them and place them adjacent to corners, see if anything comes through there, I'll be able to see if, if it set off. Yeah, that would be cool. Get the but, whole uh, whole room laid out. <laughs> yeah, there was one house in Ohio. I can't give the address. It's private investigation. We came up with nothing until I was listening to the EVPs. And like I say, I'm hard of hearing, so I was recording these questions, and I'm listening back. All hell was breaking loose in that room. And this was a room where a teenage girl slept. So I was in the room by myself. Everybody else was down the hall watching monitors. And I'm asking, "Hey, are you here? Can you give me a sign?" Then I heard something scratch. Can you show me that you're here? Can you knock on something? And something did not. And then towards the end of it, I said, why are you here? And a voice came back clear as day said, because I want to be. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what happened with the family or anything else like that. I, I don't know if they're still in the house. 
but that one was clear. There was no question about that that was a solid EVP. And unless it's class A or class B, I don't count them. Those scratches that you hear on Ghost Adventures, that doesn't pass it with me. <laughs> uh, you know, you're, it's going, I'm going to kill you, Zach. You know, that doesn't work with me. I've never heard Get Out. That, that, that's one of my goals is to actually get Get Out on one. I've, I've loved to see the goal where I actually did help somebody, and that was nice. She was having a huge problem there, and it wouldn't act up while I was there, so I sent a couple of female investigators sit down there with me, and they said, yeah, we started hearing something up and down the hall. So we sent a cleaner that night, and problem cleared up for quite a while. She's been having problems with it again, but it seems to bother her when she's at a low point in her life. Yeah, it kind of so, makes sense. But, you know, she's happy. She's got something good going on. She's great. Uh, that, that house actually sits pretty pretty close to a well-known haunted cemetery in Ohio where there's lots of activity. But you're not allowed to go in there at night, so I've never never tried to investigate. Let me ask you a question, Mike, because somebody asked me this the other day, and I really didn't have an educated answer for them. But I'll tell you what I told her, but you could tell me if I'm right or not. She asked, why is it that when all these investigations are done, they're always done at nighttime. You hardly ever see anybody investigate during the day, even though ghosts are seen during the day on several occasions. Why so many times is the, are the investigations done at night? I told her that it was because when you got after midnight that the veil was a little bit tighter and that was as close as, as both sides come. So it was therefore it's easier to connect. Am I somewhere close on that? You're close. Uh, Three o'clock in the morning, the magnetism of the earth is at its peak. Okay. And also at night, that's when most people notice these things because that's when they're not in the heat of the day. You know, when they're working, they're busy. For example, I'm working from home right now. I wouldn't notice if a train hit the building because I'm absorbed in my work. During the day, you're absorbed with housework, TV, telephone calls. Then at night, while you're sitting down just trying to unwind, is, is when you actually start to notice these things. When, you know, your mind isn't occupied by something else. I also think that maybe sometimes at night, as we're unwinding, we're a little more cognizant of these things. Your body is a huge bio, for better word, biomania. Barry Fitzgerald talked about it, is you can actually tell things. And this little six sense you get is often not wrong. So, yeah, you, you'll have these things happen in the daytime because spirits don't really have a concept of day or night. But when the conditions are right is when you can see them. And I think a lot of it happens between midnight and four because that's when the magnetism of the earth is at its peak. I've also heard that as your body gets tired, like after the end of a long day, that it, it puts you more in a state to be able to see it, too. And I know it kind of goes into what you were saying about not being as occupied, but also like it's like your body's your um, conscious subconscious is kind of let down a little bit so it's easier to pick up on things that that's also true another thing that i think may play into it is i i quit using uv at all in my photography i don't use ultraviolet light at all and i think it's the absence of ultraviolet light that may cause some of this one investigator works under the theory that children are able to see these things because their eyes have not yet developed to get uh to where they can't see in the ultraviolet layer that we can see or the infrared layer that we can't see. Kids can still see that. So it's actually a scientifically plausible explanation. As they get older, they can't see as deeply into the infrared. And he believes that's where the spirits hide. So he had a camera made that mimicked a child's vision, which I thought was brilliant. Cost a couple thousand dollars. I couldn't afford that. So. <laughs> Understandable. Uh, his name is Barry Fitzgerald. He used to be on Ghost Hunters International. So... But uh, there was an interview I heard with him that I just basically started. I never started really getting good pictures until I started doing that. I threw out the UV light and never had any problems because he said UV light can technically 
stop an investigation cold or stop a manifestation cold. Hmm. So he carries one just for protection if he thinks there's an evil entity down. And Dustin Perry was talking about he was with him one time and there was a window there that was just plain open and he got a feeling something was in there. He turned a UV flashlight on it and whatever it was went out that window and scared what was ever in those trees. It's something that I think I carry the UV flashlight just for protection if I think something's evil. Uh, other than that, I won't use it for photography. So a lot of these guys use full spectrum lights. All you need is the is the infrared. The full spectrum is really not necessary. We'll let you see anything more. Brother, I'm not going to lie to you. This has been fun. It's been a long time coming. We should have yeah, done this a long time my ago. My pleasure. It's so, been my pleasure to uh, discuss these things with you. Well, hopefully we could run into each other again sometime soon in person, and uh, all this stuff will be over. I'll be I'll be at Point Pleasant if that if that happens. Yeah, um, I'm not holding my what breath. What if I got to wear a mask? <laughs> We'll see. All right, brother. Well, I'll talk to you soon. And, oh, you too. Well, that wraps up this week. But before we get out of here, we want to wish everybody a happy Father's Day out there. Happy Father's Day. So enjoy. And if you're listening to us on Monday or Tuesday, um, we did it on time. You were just late. <laughs> so Yeah. Enjoy your daddies. I wish mine was still here. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you for everything you do. And we'll talk to you next week. Love you guys. Have a great week.